The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. I'm Jason Garwood and I'm your host for this episode. I serve as lead pastor of Callwood Church in Carroll, Michigan. I am husband to Mary and father to three children. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our Facebook pages and discussion groups so you can interact with us on any questions you may have. You can also connect with me personally online at Facebook or Twitter, as well as by visiting my blog at jasongarwood.com. Let's begin. One of the most revolutionary ideas for me was understanding God's covenants. What I don't mean by that is doing fun little Sunday school studies on the Noahic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. All of those, like a jigsaw puzzle, fit together to form what Reformed theologians have taught for centuries, the covenant of grace. With Adam and Eve in the garden, we have the covenant of works, or as it is sometimes called, the covenant of creation. Everything after Genesis 3 and leading up to the new covenant sealed by the blood of our Lord is the covenant of grace. That these concepts have been established for quite some time goes without saying. Reformed theology has done a great job in helping us think through these two major covenants and how they fit together. The new covenant is really covenant renewal as this is made clear in Jeremiah 31. Of course, some things changed in the covenant, most notably, of course, being the abolishing of the sacrificial system, for Christ is now our Passover lamb. Certain expressions of covenant faithfulness were altered, but the covenant principle remains forever because they all fit together. What hasn't been developed by Reformed theologians, generally speaking, however, has been the application of covenant theology. That all changed in 1985. As Dr. Gary North has pointed out in many of his books, Reverend Ray Sutton discovered the five-point covenant model after exploring biblical symbols and working with some of Dr. Meredith Klein's material on suzerain treaties in the ancient Near East. Sutton took the application of covenant theology to a new level by giving us a grid or, or model to look at when not only coming to Scripture, but when we look at the world around us in light of the Scriptures as well. After taking great care in exploring this model, it became apparent very quickly that these five elements to God's covenant relationship to the world are all over the Bible. Even the Pentateuch itself is modeled after it. The book of Deuteronomy is patterned after it as well. In fact, there's not a passage of Scripture that can't be traced back to some portion of this model. The reason for this, of course, is because the Bible itself is a covenantal document. I now see... Why Dr. North was thrilled to implement this in all of his life's work, because I'm convinced that a thorough understanding of this covenant can literally change your life. I read Sutton's book, That You May Prosper, a couple of years ago, and I can say without a doubt that outside of Scripture itself, that book has had the most impact on me. It literally changed my life, and I'm not at all exaggerating. One of the reasons that it changed me was because it finally gave my post-millennial doctrine, my presuppositional tenacity, some teeth. It finally gave me the glasses I needed to refute any idea that goes against the gospel message. It gave me a little more espresso in my already exciting dominion-committed life. 
For two years since I read that document, that book, I've been testing it out both in the local church and in my own family's life, and I'll share some of those findings in a little bit. Before we move on, of course, I want to make sure we lay the groundwork. Defining our terms is one of the most important things because I need to make sure you know what I mean when I say what I say. When I say covenant, I'm talking about God's self-binding self-revelation of himself. A covenant, biblically speaking, is a, simply an agreement. Uh, it's sealed by oath between two parties to fulfill some sort of action or some sort of obligation. And since it is God's binding self-revelation of himself, it is a unilaterally imposed idea. So we say much around here, everything is covenantal. So to say that everything is covenantal is to say that everything stems from God. In him we move and have our being. All things that exist do so because God has said they should exist. Nothing exists outside of God's will, which is to say God's covenantal nature and action in history is only due to the fact that he decided to do it that way. Covenant simply means that we are bound to God. Every person, institution, and creature is covenantally tied to God, for God is the transcendent creator. For God to be a covenantal God, he must be both the creator and sustainer. There is relationship, for he made us, and commitment, he has a purpose. No man or institution is outside of God's covenantal obligations, which means there are only two types of people, covenant breakers and covenant keepers, seed of the serpent and seed of the woman. Having said all that, covenant works itself out in these five ways. These are the blueprints for the covenantal house. You can remember this quite easily if you simply remember the Greek word for God, theos. The points to this model as Sutton developed them are as follows. Number one, transcendence. Number two, hierarchy. Number three, ethics. Number four, oaths. And number five, sanctions. Transcendence, hierarchy, ethics, oaths, sanctions. T-H-E-O-S. Let me describe each one for you. Transcendence, we'll start there. This is point one. This refers to ultimate sovereignty. God is the only ultimate transcendent sovereign. He created and sustains all things. All things owe their origin and purpose in the sovereignty of God. When God gave us his law treaty, when God gave his law treaty to his son Israel, when he, when he brought them out of Egypt, he established his sovereignty as the conquering warrior king who is the only sovereign. Everyone and everything is derived from this first point of the covenant. Who's in charge? God. Number two, hierarchy. This is God's hierarchical system of what we might call law enforcement. There is an established order underneath point one of the covenant model. Man sits underneath God's authority. Man is God's covenantal man. What needs to be clear with regard to this point of the covenant is that man is God's agent for dominion in the world, and only when he is restored in Christ can he actually achieve it. Therefore, it is appropriate to say that Christ is the one who has been established as the hierarchical leader in this part of the covenant, which is to say, Jesus Christ has been established as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who, according to Matthew 28, has all authority in heaven and on the earth. And this kingdom is a mediatorial kingdom that will be turned over to the Father in accordance with 1 Corinthians 15 after King Jesus destroys his enemy enemies. God is the sovereign, that's point one. Jesus is king and we as man are in him, that's point two. 
Point three to the covenant model is ethics. This is the law of the kingdom of God. Laws are the terms and conditions of the covenant relationship. Law establishes what the suzerain expects of the vassals. When God gave his covenant law word, he was establishing his peace treaty. Law is a peace treaty because law sets the conditions necessary for man to be in relationship with God. It doesn't save man, for only the gospel can do that. But the law and the gospel work together. They are friends, not enemies. Okay, (laughs) get that in your mind. The opposite of law is lawlessness, not grace. We should also note that the law of God and only the law of God is the true law in the universe. The self-proclaimed despots of any kingdom who subjugate men under their supposed law are actually subjugating them under lawlessness. It's tyranny by definition. Only God's law reigns supreme in God's covenant world. The fourth point is oath. These are God's covenant sanctions. An oath ratifies the treaty. It calls forth God's judgment, which can either be blessings for obedience or cursing for disobedience or violations. Covenant loyalty is the key in this point. In Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 29, for example, God lays out the sanctions against people and nations who will not submit to God's law treaty. A man who doesn't want the covenant is not in a position of neutrality. He is a covenant breaker. Only the gospel moves a covenant breaker to a covenant keeper. Only when the Spirit of God writes the law treaty on our hearts can we actually experience blessing. That doesn't mean, however, that a Christian is free from any of God's judgments in history. God will judge nations in the end, and he judges nations in history, in the present. And all of it depends on covenant faithfulness. Faith without works is dead. Point five to this covenant model is succession. This is the issue of time. This last point of the biblical covenant has everything to do with where this outfit is heading. Where is this relationship with God actually going? What's your theology of time? God is the Lord in time, and the Lord uses time to establish his kingdom. Sutton prefers to call it continuity. This is an issue of covenant renewal. Will there be a confirmation and transfer of the inheritance? Is there continuity from one generation to the next? Who who are the true heirs of God's world? The children of the promise or the children of Satan? Will, Will Satan inherit the earth, as in most dispensational schemes, or will God's meek children inherit it? This flows out of point four, because those who will not obey will be disinherited. Covenants can be dissolved. Covenant death is a real thing. The question is, where is this thing heading? What is the plan for the future? What is your theology of time? Now, I realize that this is a lot to take in, all right? But bear with me. One of the important principles in all of this that must go with the concept of covenant is the issue of neutrality. I have gotten into the habit at our church of saying quite often, everything is covenantal, nothing is neutral. All I'm trying to convey in this biblical truth is really two things. One, this is God's covenantal world, and therefore everything points back to him. And two, everything in God's covenantal world is either with God or against God. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty three that whoever is not with me is against me. There is no neutral ground anywhere in the space-time continuum. Remember, a covenant is a treaty ratified by an oath. It's a binding agreement between two parties, 
which lays out the terms and conditions of the relationship. Covenant is everything in God's world. It's literally built within the fabric of creation. Everything is ethically tied to God's covenant. Now take those principles and let's begin to tease it out with each of the points of the model. Number one, well, who's in charge? Who is the transcendent one? Who has the final say about everything? Well, God. God, God's in charge. There are no other gods before him. He is the ultimate and supreme being. Well, number two, the hierarchy here, well, to whom do I report? I'm in God's world. Who do I owe my allegiance to? What has God established underneath his authority? Well, the answer, all men are to serve, worship, and rely on God. All institutions that he's established, right, individuals, families, churches, and the state, all of those institutions are to submit themselves under God's authority. They are to kiss the sun lest they perish. Well, what are the rules? What are the ethics of this covenant? That's point three, right? Well, the answer, God's law. Loyalty to God's law is shown by obedience to God's law. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, you will feel fuzzy feelings about me. He said, if you love me, you will keep my law. God's law is the only perfect standard, and God is the only lawgiver, according to Isaiah 33.22. Anything outside of God's law is not a legitimate law. It is lawlessness. It is hostile to God and is outside of the covenant. Well, okay, point four here. What happens if I obey or disobey? Well, the answer is God will either protect or scatter, depending on if I'm a friend or foe of God. The terms and conditions of the peace treaty are spelled out in the law. If you don't want them, don't expect to get a nice birthday present. God's wrath will be kindled. Well, the last point, point five, well, what about, what about the future of this relationship? Where is it headed? Well, the answer is simple. As Christians, we shall inherit the earth. Do you see yet how important this is? Covenant is crucial. God's covenant world is structured a certain way, and when we get this part right, we can begin to see it play out before our lives. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. If you are a listener to Reconstructionist Radio for any amount of time, you've probably heard us talk about the ethical judicial aspects of God's covenant law. Since the foundation of God's throne is established by righteousness and justice, those two things, righteousness and justice, coincide with what we will call ethics and judgment. When we say there is an ethical judicial element to everything in the world, we're simply saying that everything stems from, from covenant, and the covenant relationship that God has with his world is built on, on these two things. The ethical judicial paradigm is the shorthand way of discerning the world the way God intends. Man is an ethical being and in that he is morally accountable to God. There is also a judicial aspect of this relationship in that man is to exercise dominion in the world, and there are judicial repercussions in how that plays out. Because we are morally accountable to God, we are covenantally accountable as well. Those are the same things. This simply means that God brings judicial declarations in history on all peoples and institutions. Nations perish for not bowing to, down to the sun. We don't have time to get too far into this, so I want to at least give you a brief introduction to it. Now, I want us to think about the covenant model and how, it, how, um, how we can make it play out in history as we seek to labor for the kingdom we have received. Just a few weeks ago, I introduced this model to our church. I'm preaching a series right now called Politics and Religion, and I wanted to give my congregants the same life-altering stuff I had. What is interesting to me is that many people immediately grabbed a hold of it. 
I had a lawyer friend of mine say, yes, this makes perfect sense. It's the world I swim in every day, and I was glad to hear this. The practical aspects of this, however, is really new territory for Christian Reconstructionists. We have a lot to learn and a lot to apply. There is much work to be done. But getting the grid right is where we need to start, and it's where I needed to start. Back to what I said earlier after reading this book by Sutton, as well as Gary North's book, uh, Unconditional Surrender, I began to see it play out even at home. My oldest son right now is learning all about the four spheres of government in God's world. So he's able to apply much of this already while listening to my sermons in this series. At any rate, one of the things I, I want to teach my children is how our relationship with God plays out. Too many parents think that their only task is to make sure their children get saved. As long as they survive public school education and get saved, everything will be fine, these parents think. What they don't realize is that they aren't giving their children the grid through which they can see, discern, and apply the kingdom ethic of God, which means that they may be able to answer a few catechism questions, but they don't have a clue how to spot a phony philosophy. Because of this grid and understanding, I have been able to take my presuppositional apologetics to the next level because I can now spot a counterfeit. And I was proud of my son when he told me, by drawing his own conclusions, how ungodly the tax system was because, in his words, it takes money from others that they worked for. Exactly. Proud daddy moment. Getting the covenantal paradigm down and teaching to our children uh, this, this very thing can be the best thing I think we can do. And, and why is that? It gives them the lens through which to see the word and apply the word. One more example will suffice. Satan isn't creative, nor is he covenantal. Only God is both, which means he can only mimic what God does. This is why he had to question the authority of God in the garden with Adam and Eve. He couldn't walk up, talk to them, and claim to be the transcendent one because he's not. So he had to make Adam and Eve think that they could be, that they could move up, if you will, in this covenantal ladder. Satan has a parody model, and so does Planned Parenthood for that matter. The bait and switch is the same issue from the garden. Instead of being underneath the lordship of Christ and sovereignty of God, man plays the part of the sovereign, which means he can enact arbitrary hierarchies and arbitrary laws, which means that there are sanctions for disobeying the state, and they are as arbitrary as the rules are. The problem for Planned Parenthood, for example, is that they have no theology of time. Proverbs 8 says that those who hate God love death. Satan's parody has no covenantal continuity for the future. It only leads in death. Planned Parenthood can't give you a covenantal future. Only God in Christ can do so. Perhaps next time we can explore this a little bit further. We are quickly running out of time, and so I really just want to give you these last couple of minutes a quick recap. The covenantal model, the covenantal grid, can be easily be remembered um, by the acronym THEOS, which is the Greek word for God. Transcendence, hierarchy, ethics, oaths, sanctions. This is a blueprint. It's a grid. It's a model. It's something that you can appeal to and look to um, whenever you're uh, examining the scriptures, whenever you are examining things in the world, um, any news item that comes on your smartphone, you can examine it through this model. And remember, transcendence, it's the ultimate sovereignty of God. He's the one that's in charge. He's the only one that is 
uh, uh, the creator and sustainer of, of everything. Everything owes their allegiance to him. There's hierarchy. God has an order, and he's established these spheres of government, and they are to manage themselves under the law word of God, which is exercised through the kingship of Christ. The third part is the ethics. This is the law of God. We have very much a problem of antinomianism in our culture, in our churches, and we need to repent of it. Ethics are simply the laws of the God of, of God's world, God's covenant world. Um, only his law reigns supreme. There's the fourth point, which is the oath. These are God's sanctions in history as God brings judgment on nations. And fifth, there's the issue of time, the succession. The succession. This is the issue of continuity, as Sutton put it in his book. Um, where is this thing headed? Where is God's world going? What, what can we expect? What does the future look like? How do we you know, pass on this thing generation to generation so that our children will know that the Lord, he is God? So that's the recap. Um, if you have any questions, please, again, get in our uh, radio discussion groups. You can ask them there. I uh, would love to interact with you. Thanks for listening. Uh, Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.